Hello and welcome back to the Bill Podcast for this sequel to Trudy Goodwin's interview as we reach the Sergeant Ackland years. Seeing as Trudy is such an icon of the Bill and indeed of British television, this edition is five minutes longer than usual. Episodes of my daughter's in as well. Oh, cool. But only on background, only only in the background. Because oh. they happened to be there that day, and, and the director would go, because they used to be allowed to, Jessica, because she was older, could sit by the monitor and with the headphones on and help the PA, and, oh. and she used to go into makeup and get made up and with scars and all sorts of things. And a couple of times the director's gone, well, actually, quite nice to have, yeah, let's have her in the background. Oh. And she'd go be, be there with a friend. So the two of them have been... Um, and Eleanor as a baby was in... I think Eleanor was only about a year and a half. And she was in an episode because oh. I'd had to bring her in to feed her. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it must have been quite... Yeah. When you were a regular and then you're still a mum, that doesn't stop, no, does it? So, exactly, yeah. And, yeah. and like later on, presumably, when they got a bit older and, you know, there's things like parents' evening and stuff that you don't want to miss. And were the scheduling... Scheduling, uh, there was a great guy called Nigel Wilson who did the scheduling and uh, he would move heaven and earth to try and get you free. If you said, actually, I really, really need to be at this parents' evening or I really want to go to this Christmas concert, yeah, he would move heaven and earth to make sure that you you got there. And Mm. mostly you did if you gave him enough warning. And I don't know how he used to do it because I wasn't the only one who was asking lots of people with kids going, oh, I really need to be... Yeah. Mm. And organising people's holidays and things. An absolute nightmare of scheduling without, you know, let alone when people actually want to have the afternoon off or have scenes moved around so that they could get away quickly. But he always somehow managed to do it. And when the series went to those half hours, I mean, your workload must have increased Yeah, massively, yes. And we started, at some point, we started working weekends, which we never used to do. Because when we first started, the days were really short. I mean, really short. When we were filming round here in the East End, round sort of Tower Bridge and Docklands, which is where our base was, we used to have to finish at four o'clock in the afternoon because the crew were all based up in North London. And they had to be gone by four. They had to be taken back to base as part of their contract and they had to be there by six. Or else you went into massive overtime. So we always had to finish filming by four and we couldn't really start till eight because they had to come from, it began with an M. So they had to leave at six or something like that in order to be there at eight. So it was all about hours and overtime and all of that. So we really had it quite easy <laughs> in the early way. days. And I yeah. lived, I only lived over the river. So oh, yeah. I could get there, I could get there in no time at all. And you could park then. <laughs> um, so I had a battered old car that I used to drive up and I'd probably be at work within 15-20 minutes oh, wow. uh, then start at 8, nice easy day, finish at 4 yeah. But, but yeah, that didn't last for a very long time and then obviously when we went to half hours it got it was really, really long hours You were at Barbie Road then? Yeah. We were at Barbie Road then, yes up in Notting Hill, near Notting Hill and that was a horrible journey for me actually mm. uh, but this it had been such an easy journey for the first few series so and we nearly, we very nearly moved up that way. Thank God we didn't, because <laughs> suddenly we were moved. That was where the Eurostar terminal was going to be oh. on the lot that our uh, that our 
the bass was on. Oh, I see. So that was going to be the Eurostar channel. And then they changed their minds, but, but we had to move because we didn't know that. We didn't. Yeah. And that was when we moved to South London. And, I, you know, had I moved to Notting Hill, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but then they came, obviously, back down to sort of near where I lived. So, again, I could, I could do that journey really quite quickly. By this stage, now a lot of the bills are in the top ten programmes on television. Yeah. And how was your profile changed from the fame point of view, from a public recognition point of view? And, and how was that transition for you? I can't remember the transition, actually. I can't remember the first time somebody went, ooh, are you on the telly? I, I, I can't remember that. But it was quite a big difference. It was. It, it did happen quite quickly. When it happened, it happened quite quickly, and we all became very recognisable. It did make filming out on location much more difficult. Mm. Uh, you suddenly had to have security, not because you were in danger of being you know, attacked, but because... Actually, people were getting in the way, and for all the best reasons, they wanted to see what was going on, so they'd be in the back of shot, and they'd go, no, cut, right? And that became more difficult. And things like going on holiday uh, and going out just became, well, at one point, really quite difficult, because you'd just be stopped all the time. Mm. Nobody was ever horrible, but of course everybody thinks that they're the first person to come up to you that day, and they may be the... 50th at one point. I mean, at one point it was all the time. And the kids used to get a bit a bit fed up with it because, mm. you know, you'd have to keep stopping and signing autographs. And kind of... So, yeah, that, that in a sense, that was a slight downside, but only slight because everybody was always really nice and very positive about the programme. And I was a, you know, I was a sympathetic character, so they were always really nice to me. I mean, yeah. actually, Chris Ellison used to get it in the neck sometimes because... Blokes would come up and try and pick a fight with him, quite literally, so that they could say, you know, that they'd got one over on Burnside. I mean, literally, they wanted punch-ups. So wow. He, he, yeah, and they'd rile him you know, to try and get his dander up. So right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they never did that to me, thank God. Series five, let's see if his title rings any bells, one-to-one. I recognise the title. I couldn't tell you what it was about, though. First yeah. time you get top billing, and it's you and Arabella Weir in oh. a flat. Dose herself in petrol, wants to set fire yes. to herself. Yes. Oh, gosh, yes, that's right. And it's pretty much a two-hander. It's a great episode for you. When right. you're, you have this great monologue where you talk about your own dad dying in the series, and you have this little breakdown. And, but all the way in the, in the episode, you're like going back over the sink to make a glass of water, but then like you're getting like a damp towel at the ready, and you're trying to hide it. I mean, it's great. There's so many one long take right. moments. It's a real cracker. When, oh, when okay. that one gets repeated, that'll be worth watching. Oh, yeah. I, I, I remember bits of that. And I remember Arabella quite well. Yeah, I hadn't realised that was the... I wouldn't yeah, have yeah. remembered the story particularly. There were so, so many that you did. Yeah. yeah. Series five, it's like one after the other for you, because not long after you, you do a, quite a famous one, A Death in the Family, which oh, yes. is a cop death uh, yes. storyline. Yeah, which actually was very... That was used a lot for the Cop Death Association. Right. And it was used as a training, as part of police training for dealing with things like that. So that was shown to a lot of police officers as a, as a good way of dealing with, dealing with a cop death situation. Yeah, that was quite a powerful episode. That, and it got a lot of publicity. And when it went to the ad break, they didn't play the 
theme. Oh, it was really? silence because oh. it's just oh, after the, the the parents say goodbye to the baby, and then it cuts yeah. to the ad break, and it's just silence, and it's shivers. You know, it's Ooh. it's yeah. it's such a powerful yeah. episode. And you, was that with Colin Bloom? It was with Colin Bloom. Yeah. Who's, who is marvellous because you know Taffy's obviously normally yes. quite grumpy, but he, he's trying to keep the other little girl happy. So, did you paint me? It's a very nice, lovely episode for you both. Right. Yes. Um, and you both have another really good solid episode called the Coop. I'm sure that. Yes. <laughs> yes. All them chickens. Oh, oh, in the chicken shed. Yeah. <laughs> and that was when I'd had Eleanor. Then that was directed by Graham Thigston, I think, yeah. who is no longer with us. Yeah. And I think I'd, I'd come back to work, because I came back to work eight weeks after having Eleanor, and I'm sure this is the episode, because uh, it was very hot, it was filmed in the summer, and I was breastfeeding Eleanor. I was having to sort of kind of, at lunchtime, express the milk off to, to take back home for her during the day. But so actually my bra size used to go from like, I, I mean, after I'd express the milk, it would be a 34. Before I expressed the milk, I'd be about a 40D. <laughs> so I had two different shirts, one for after and one before. And in Coop, because we did, we shot out of sequence... Actually, I think you'll find that my chest measurements goes up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, all the way through the, all the way through the episode. Because I think we, I was just in shirt sleeves at one point, and it's actually yeah, quite right. obvious. Oh wow! <laughs> I'm sure it was that one. That's yeah, and I actually did watch that, and I'm sure I remember thinking, "Oh my god, I, I look an awful lot bigger in that shot than I do in that one." <laughs> that was also the episode I think where the is that with, has it got an Alsatian dog in it on a leash? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah that dog got off the leash, and uh, oh, I've never been so scared in my life. It's deliberately been allowed to sniff our uniforms. I'm encouraged to bark at us at the sight of us and, and the smell of, of the uniforms. So, um, because we had to pass very, very, very close by the dog, and it had to be incredibly aggressive, so it was on a short chain, and the dog trainer was behind the wall where the chain was attached. And we did this about two or three times. This dog was really, I mean, would have killed us, you know, <gasps> really fierce, uh, which is what they wanted. And on, I think it was on the third take, the chain came out of the wall. Oh! And the dog handler just screamed at us. He went, freeze! Like that. I said, Colin, I just went, Shit. and there's this dog. And he managed to drag the dog back. But honestly, oh. it, it got to about there before he got it back. <laughs> oh. Very, very close call. A really, really lovely moment. We're at the end of the 80s here, and Kevin Lloyd has joined the cast. Yeah. And you and he have this wonderful episode. It's called Visitors. Tosh can't afford to have his mum buried. He's really, really struggling with it. Yeah. And... Um, he sort of lets all his problems out to you in the car and he says, well, who, who listens to you, June? Because you're a great listener. Yeah. And he says, it's a crime that you're on your own. People should be snapping you up. And you play it so beautifully together. It's oh, a lovely, yeah. tender moment. And then at the end of the episode, June gives him a cheque for the 500 quid so he can bury his mum. God, I forgot. I think I can remember a lot of the scene in the car. I didn't remember about the cheque. I didn't remember about that story. He was a fantastic actor, Kevin, and such a such a lovely, 
lovely warm man. I knew him and his wife and his family because he had all those children, a couple of whom, Poppy, came to work in casting and uh, one of his sons was a, was a runner for a while and then joined the cast as an actor. So, so terribly, terribly sad. The whole thing of him dying and his alcoholism and everything was just awful and I think hit everybody, really hit everybody very, very hard indeed. Remember us all going to his funeral. Unfortunately, a lot of deaths, you know, and, and his, he, was a, he was a good friend, and, uh, and Colin Tarrant, of course, wonderful Colin Tarrant, who played Inspector Monroe. Uh, shocking death, and he was a very dear friend of mine, Colin. So, yeah, it, was, it, it tinged with sadness, some of this, because yeah. you, know, you forget, and Roger, wonderful Roger, Tom Penny, again, fabulous man. And he, he, he was a marvellous friend and, and such a funny man as well. He yeah. played vulnerability wonderfully. Oh, didn't he just? Yes. yes. He yes. was really up against it. Yes. Oh, yes. Stunning performances. Again, I think those characters were so well-rounded and I think that they came to the screen like that, sort of from the word go, and I, I think that's kind of what they were looking for, you know. And, and then those characters, you've got to know them so well that I think people then started to tune in, especially to see those characters. The characters were very, very important, I think. And because it was always shown, or had to be shown from the police's point of view, either each shot had to have a policeman in it or be from a policeman's point of view, that meant you were very in with the characters the whole time. You weren't, you weren't going off somewhere else to see something else happening. So those characters became known to you very quickly, I think. Mm. In, in a way that mm, doesn't happen with quite a lot of series now. It takes quite a long time for characters to get established. And I think they were established pretty quickly in those early episodes. I think I'm writing this viewing figures, Pete. When Nuala Conwell got killed off... Yes, And, and yes. it's... A, it's ooh, a bit oh. of fun. <laughs> That's for Martella. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah bless her. <laughs> um, they picked that 17.5 million people watched... Viv gets shot. Did they? And Did they? Your brilliant car chase, you and Tom oh. Butcher, have yes. a phenomenal car chase where you're told to break off pursuit and you don't. That's right. And the car explodes. Yes, yes. I, oh, God, I'd forgotten that. Oh, I used to love doing those car chases. Okay. I used to really love doing the car chases. Quite scary. Tom was driving, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. Did that go all under railway arches right. and stuff? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. There were two particular railway arches, in fact, just here Not, in yeah, Southwark, yeah. Uh, that we used to use all the time because <laughs> they're very atmospheric. And also, they, 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 it was a kind of chicane yeah. that you went round. I think, I think the road splits into two and goes That's under right. two arches, and it's fantastic for car chases. Yeah. And we used to use that a lot. I think that was used. But that was a great episode, and I, so sad, because, again, Newlet was and still is a massive friend. We see each other a lot, and we shared a dressing room and became, you know, really close friends. And I was devastated when she left. It was mm. a real, a real loss because we got on terribly well. I mean, um, she's quality. I mean, she's you, great. Uh, I mean, she's great, and she looks no different now. Oh, really? She, you know, oh. she looks absolutely wonderful. Because <laughs> you were both like the two. Well, for a long time, the only. You know, female regulars. The only know. female regulars with our handbags and yeah, our skirts. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, walking uh, the beat together in the titles. And, and they know. always wanted... I remember I got into terrible trouble. We'd had a break and um, we came back and I'd been doing a play somewhere and I'd 
hennaed my hair. My hair was red. And Michael Chapman, the executive producer, went potty with me. What have you done to your hair? Because <laughs> he was quite posh. Uh, we used to call him the Admiral because he ran, he ran it. Uh, he's, st- he's still alive. He's, he's in his 80s now, but he was very strict and he ran it like a ship. In fact, it was John Oyles who, who nicknamed him the Admiral. <laughs> what have you done to your hair, Trudy? <laughs> I said, oh, okay. Acton can't be red-headed. She's got to be blonde. And the point was that he wanted, he wanted the blonde and the brunette. Right. So we, we couldn't change our hair colours. We, you know, we, we had to stay that because he, he had this image of these two policewomen. I think we were practically the only women in it, almost. Yeah, yeah. Vicky G. Dare came in. Yes, it, yeah. yes, Vicky G. Dare. Yeah. Then he had his red head, you know, so he was ticking all the yes, hair yes, colours in the way. Yeah, I think he was, actually. <laughs> That's probably what he was doing. But, yeah, see, we weren't allowed to wear... Um, because I used to go into him frequently and say, please come up, wear trousers. I've seen policewomen on the streets, yeah. they are wearing trousers. Please come up, wear trousers. I hate wearing your skirt, because you couldn't run in it. No. You couldn't climb over fences. I mean, it was awful. And cold in the wind, really, really cold. But he didn't like women in trousers, so he wouldn't let us wear the trousers for ages after the real policewomen were wearing mm-hmm. them. And we still had to have that bloody handbag over the shoulder. And constantly, you know, the wardrobe would always go, where's your handbag? I'd try and lose it. I'd try and leave it behind. Yeah. Anything rather than have that. <laughs> but no, you were, following, you were chasing a villain. You had your handbag. And thank God that all went. In, in the 90s, we, uh, we have the first June affair with uh, oh. Clive Wood. Gordon oh, Ray. Oh, God, yes, I got him sacked, didn't yeah. I? Yes, you did. Yes. <laughs> Very unfair. Yeah. Yeah, Clive was a great actor. Yeah. yeah. John he's, said he's, he's at the RSC all the time. Yeah. John yeah. said he's the biggest giggler. From he the was. A huge corpser. Yeah. yeah. Huge corpser. Very serious looking. Yeah, you know, yeah. very serious, but not, not off screen at all. Not at all. Who, who were the, the main gigglers? John Isles. John Isles was just so funny all the time. Larry was a terrible giggler. So was Roger Leach. Yeah, I was quite bad. Oh, yeah. You know, I, and there were, there were certain people, I can't remember now, who literally, if they started to corpse, which is giggling you know, when you shouldn't, if they started, they literally couldn't stop and you, you, everybody just had to break. And you just go, oh, all right, everybody have a cup of coffee. Until they calmed down. I can't remember who was the worst. I come somebody in CID who was really, really bad and <laughs> In the mid nineties, lots of big cast changes, you know, suddenly Chris Ellison's left, Tony Scannell's left, yeah. Nuller's left. Was it strange for you and at that time, you've done it for ten years then, was there a moment where you thought, Should yes. I move on? Should I go? And Yes, definitely. I really didn't like that at all, a lot of the main characters going. I can remember feeling and also feeling quite um, vulnerable because you go, well, I think some had left of their own accord, others hadn't. So you felt that you were actually possibly likely to be given the push, which at the time really financially would have been quite difficult for me to have gone then. 
and I was still enjoying it, but I did really miss those people when they went, and there was a big turnaround of, of cast, I remember that. Mm. But then some great new people came in, and yeah. I can't remember who, actually, you, you, you'll know that. Yeah, I mean, you had, you had your Sean Scotts, and your Kerry oh, Pierces, yes. and you know, Andrew Paul, Tony O'Callaghan, oh. Hugh Higginson, you know, you had a, a whole new raft of people who would then stay themselves for like a decade that's respectively. Right. That's right. Was that when Colin Tarrant came in as yes. well? So Colin was an old, old friend. I'd known Colin for donkey's years before the, the bill. I mean, God, I've known him since I was about 23, I think. Oh, wow. Andy Paul I'd met before. So when Colin came in, that was great because he was an old mate. And Andy Paul I just got on with massively well and still do. Uh, yeah, and our family is a great friends. So suddenly, I, you know... I had soulmates in the programme. I think Eric was still there, wasn't yes. he? Yes, yeah. At that point. So That's as right. long as Eric was there and Mark was still there, then I was sort of all right. But it, uh, when those two went, that, and I think Colin left, I think. That's um, a period of real change where Eric gets gunned down and, and written right. out. Yes. And Ben Roberts, yeah. Colin... Even you remember Ben Payton. Everyone yeah. getting killed off left, yeah, right and centre. that's right. But there's a real sea change for you. I mean, you were a sergeant by then. Quite a big tipping point came for me when I, I really st- I started to really not enjoy being in it. Why not? That's probably going a bit far, actually. I mean, I never got up in the morning and thought, God, I don't want to go to work. I've never, ever had that feeling. But there was definitely a feeling of, I don't like this script, I don't like what they're doing to my character, I I began to doubt my character and I found that really quite difficult. That was quite a lot later on when with Todd Carty and right. being my son and all that Gabriel stuff which I absolutely hated. <laughs> yeah. Hated it. Yeah. Yeah. Um and uh I that was when I began to lose just lose faith in the character because I couldn't I could not square that with what I knew about the character and the way I had been playing her for God knows how many years. Well, yeah. But I just couldn't get my head around that at all. I had to do it because that's what you have to do. I did it with a not very good grace, I have to say. And I did complain. I did say, you can't suddenly give me a son I never knew I had. That's just, yeah. I would have played so many scenes with children or whatever so differently yeah, if I'd have given up a child at birth. I yeah. would, you know... And so now to suddenly lumber me with that makes a nonsense of so many things I've done before. I mean, the whole storyline was pretty preposterous. It, it was preposterous <laughs> and nobody could understand <laughs> no, it. No. I did understand it. I can't understand it now. I've forgotten. But it was massively complicated. Yeah. The audience did not understand it. They nearly all got the wrong end of the stick, actually. And most of the actors on the programme didn't understand You needed a bloody PhD to understand <laughs> that yeah. storyline. So, yeah, yeah I found d- d- all that very hard. You and Todd, to your credit, do have a great chemistry. We, I mean, you we know, tried you, our best. Yeah. And Todd is a lovely, lovely man, a lovely yeah. actor. Thank God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we 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 did struggle the with that finale on the rooftop, and Alex walking short. He have a fight, and and he, Todd's character is almost like the Terminator in the way yes. because he he's getting punched, and he kind of isn't reacting like he's playing it very sort of like you know. By then, Gabriel's just gone like zombified, you know. But it's it's all so unlike the yeah, bill, completely. And I think that was when we started to lose sight of what the bill was 
about and mm. I think we started to lose the Bill identity then. Mm. I think that started to happen. And it was, you know, everything started to be a desperate, desperate attempt to keep the ratings up and to keep so... You know, you try things which maybe we shouldn't have tried. You know, I, mm. I don't know. I think a lot of mistakes were made. They took your character through quite an interesting phase. Um, sort of 2002, you head up the CSU unit. So oh, you, that's right, you're out yeah. of your uniform, which must have probably been quite a nice... great. <laughs> I loved that. Yeah, yeah it was really <laughs> nice being playing clothes for instead of that. Yeah, the yeah. uniform. You and Mark, suddenly it's a, a romantic storyline, which... Again, after very difficult. 20 years, must have yeah, been... That was very hard as well, really hard, because, as Mark said, God, it's like kissing my sister. <laughs> because we knew each other so well, yeah. and suddenly you're actually having to do these quite intimate scenes, and it really wasn't easy. It was not easy. Neither of us found it easy. Um, we were talking about it the other day, actually. <laughs> yeah. We really didn't find it easy to do. And again, a lot of... A lot of the scripts weren't... I didn't think a lot of the scripts were quite up to standard. I didn't think... We seemed to be rushing things, and I don't think enough thought was given to how this was all going to pan out at the end. I don't... It didn't feel like there was too much of a huge story arc, which there needed to be. It felt like it was all being done slightly on the hoof, and I may be wrong about that, Mm. but it felt like... That's what it felt like. And the focus changed, didn't it, really, because suddenly life outside of the station, which previously you'd never really gone that no, way. Exactly. It's yes, a difference. Because you never went home with the characters either. No. Um, that was one of the rules. You did not go home with the characters. You only saw them while they were doing their job. Mm. And I think that's what kept it very focused and kept the stories very strong. Mm. Um, I mean, you couldn't even... I, I actually remember saying in the early days to Michael Chapman... Uh, who was our executive producer at the time, I said, oh, we did do a certain amount of improvisation quite a lot uh, in those early episodes. Oh, cool. And I was saying, we've got this... It was Graham and I in the, in the squad car waiting for something. And I was saying, I wonder if we could just improvise that while, while we were in, just only for a few seconds before the actual, you know, whatever the radio message came through or whatever. And I said, well, maybe we could be talking about... maybe." You know, I, I just think it's something really mundane, the kind of people that, the things that people talk about when they're just waiting, you know, like maybe I'm having a f- carpet fitted or something. Yeah. Or you just talk about something really, really ordinary on buying a new fridge. Or get, he said, nope, absolutely not. Nothing about your home lives. That's, nope. I, he really, really didn't want that. Um, mm. He was very strict about all that kind of stuff. Mm. But I, I think in many ways quite rightly so. But then, of course... Audiences change, you know, yeah. the, the, the temperature changes in that sense. People want more, or I, the powers that be thought people wanted more soapy, mm. kind of slightly more soapy stuff. Yeah, it's, it's weird because there's, there's yeah. an episode I watched the other day. It's after the Sunhill fire of, yeah. of 2005. Russell Floyd's got blown up. Yes. Oh, God, <laughs> yeah. yes, all those people got blown yeah. up. Yeah, so, so you've had this great big disaster and then... Before you know it, by the end of the episode, John Bowler's given you a massage and you're smooching in front of yes! Mark. And then the, the cliffhanger, yes! of the, the tease of next week, is them all just punching each other and grey in front of... And it's like so bizarre, like it kind of undervalues the, the, the characters who've just been killed off. Absolutely. And you're going into a sort of soapy who's kissing who storyline. And, um, and I'm afraid some of the names of some of the characters got really bloody silly as well. <laughs> I, I just... yeah. 
Well, yeah. um, I just, no, and that was when I just wasn't like, mm, mm. that was when I decided I don't want to be in this much longer. Mm. Not much longer. No. <laughs> pay off the mortgage and then I want to go. Yeah. Was it nice, I'm trying to put a positive spin on it, that's nice for a woman in her 40s to have a sexy storyline on television? Oh, yes, actually. I mean, I and I, I was pleased to be able to do that because you're absolutely right. No, I mean, anybody over the age of 23 probably yeah. wasn't getting it. I didn't mind that too much. It, but it... it and it was there was such a lot of it. It, it. it 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 did change really quite quickly and quite dramatically. What you know, I wonder if the audiences could keep up with that. I, yeah. And a lot of people used to say to me in the street, "Oh, it's getting a bit soapy." Mm. Oh, it's a bit kind of. We got accused of that a lot. So the the moment when you made the decision to go, did they try and talk you out of it? No, because I think by then I was very definite. And I had been thinking about it for quite a long time. I very nearly went, I think, a couple of years before. But then I thought, no, this is stupid. Uh, having been in it this long, I'm very typecast anyway. It's not going to make any difference. And I would really like to get in a sound, you know, a really secure financial position before I before I go. And, and I'm knowing that actually work was going to be very difficult afterwards. You just, mm. you take the devil shilling in that sense. You make that decision, I think, quite early on. You go, well, I have the money now, but it means I won't have it later. Yeah. Or I turn the money down now, and maybe I can build a career that is much more varied, and therefore I'll just steadily earn money you know, till I die, whatever. Mm. But um, I definitely wanted to leave the programme owning my house and knowing that we didn't owe anything to anybody. and all that. So... I, I needed a couple of years to do that, so that was I had been thinking about it actually for at least two years before I left. Yeah. And then I, you know, I just went to uh, the producer at the time and said, I, "I'm going, but I'm going if I, what I'd like to do is sign another contract for a year if you'll have me, and then I definitely want to go at the end of that. So just to let you know, so we can, you've got plenty of time, blah blah blah. I know I've got plenty of time to get used to the idea. So that worked really well, and they were were hugely accommodating and I'm, I'm sure they did say no don't go but but I think it probably it probably suited them as well that, that you know at that time I didn't I was definitely given the choice as to how to I think they quite wanted me to have a really big story you know and I really didn't want that I wanted to just quietly, quietly go. go and yeah definitely and I Mark didn't. came back for your Yes. Your exit, which yes. was nice. Which was very nice. That yeah. was lovely. So, no, they treated me very well. I, hey, listen, I've never been anything but fantastically well treated on that programme. Really, no complaints at all about mm. And they were very, uh, always been very accommodating. So, And all the way up to the end, you were still in car chases, foot chases. And yeah. You've, you've stayed... A, a very fit lady. I d- yes, I did. Yes, and uh, and and again, you know, you know, at the age I was, it, you, you're lucky to be working and having a, you know, still aren't enough women on television, and there certainly mm. weren't then. No. Uh, so to be a slightly older woman still doing that kind of stuff was was really good, and I used to really enjoy all that as well. Yes, and a bit of a, hopefully a bit of a role model as well for. Oh yeah. For, you know, a lot of police officers go. I wouldn't have become a policeman or a policewoman unless mm. you know. I suppose with that relationship with the police, I mean, you ended up in... You're a Guinness World Record holder. 
Am I? Yeah, you're... you're, you're uh, for, oh, for... British for, television's oh, for, longest right, running police character. Right. You overtook Jack Warner as Dixon and Doc Green. Good God. Oh, do you know, I don't think I knew that. <laughs> really? Yeah. Jack Warner did it for 22 years Christ, and you, you picked it. Yeah, yeah. 20, well, that's 24. why I hung on, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To get that on. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> but, I mean, are you, yeah. are you... You must be proud of the work you did and... I'm very proud of it. Uh, I'm very, very proud of the programme. I'm very proud of being in it right from the start, which I think was also, I didn't want to be in it right at the end. I didn't want to be the last one to turn the lights out. I think I would have found that terribly upsetting because I do feel that all of us who were in those early episodes were responsible for the way that that programme was. It was very much a collaborative effort. And I think without that group of people, without all sorts of those circumstances all kind of coming together at the same time, the programme would not have lasted as long as it did. I'm so proud of everybody on it, everybody at every level. We worked our socks off and that programme is an iconic programme and I think probably always will be and they've never really found anything to replace it. And And I think it still stands up very well and... So, yeah, I'm massively proud to be part of that. Uh, I would have been very sad to have been there at the end. I know it was a very upsetting time for everybody. Yeah. And thank God I'd gone by then. Mm. I didn't have to go through that because I would have hated that. Yeah. And is there a, a moment? Because I, I have a moment of your genius. But is, oh. there, is there a moment? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, no. you're, you're so, so awesome in this series. Is there a moment you're, for yourself you're particularly proud of where you look back and you think, maybe that was my finest hour and my finest moment? I think I was very pleased with that trilogy. Yeah. It was a terrific director, John Strickland, who was just the nicest possible man and, and also just a really good director. And I think he got, I think he got wrung a bit more of a performance out of me than, than I would have maybe found myself. And I do remember, you know, I think there were a few moments in that, in those traditions where I think, I, when I know I was, which I'm really proud of, which I, I know I was pretty good. In yeah. That. yeah. Yeah. So I'd say it's probably, it's probably somewhere around there with the death of Mary Morgan. Jo Randall. Mary yeah. Jo Randall, yeah. Yeah. And I think around there, I think that I, I, I think that scene where she gets shot is, is probably, because oh, I really, I can remember being really feeling that was real yeah. <laughs> it felt very real my favourite it's in an yeah. episode called Somebody's Husband there's a, there's a man going around attacking women yes and uh, you go to uh, meet a woman who said that her husband's trying to kill her and then she's backtracking so oh, I don't want to. June's just being total police officer no I'll stay around I'd like to meet this husband and then uh, oh it's Police Magazine Mary he likes reading that does it your husband and then you go and have a little look around and find he's got a trans- a radio a scanner radio and he's got all the frequencies oh, right. of all the police you see and then he comes back yeah. and he's sort of interrogating you and you're sort of having a good you know head to head and you leave and you're still not satisfied so you follow him and you follow him actually attacking a woman and then you, you chase into a graveyard oh yes yeah and oh, you have this yeah. I mean it's a uh, Oh, you have this fantastic struggle and fight, and and like he's got yeah, his hand over your mouth, and you're letting you're letting everything out, just that will to live and survive. And uh, and Kevin Lloyd comes to your rescue, That's and right. Mark 
you take a balaclava off him and you give him a right slap in the face, you know, because he's... Actually, that was a horrible episode to do. I really remember that. It was horrible. Anthony Trent. Oh, yes, I can see him, actually. I think he'd been told by the director sort of not to talk to me. We were sharing Winnie Baker, obviously, you know, in the same scenes, and he wasn't very communicative, and I think the director didn't want us getting to Pally, but I found that a bit disconcerting, because I thought, oh, God, he obviously doesn't like me. And also, most of that was improvised in the graveyard. Wow. So I didn't know what he was going to do. I I really didn't know what he was going to do. So that was probably quite real. I I do remember being very upset. I mean, it was was really scary. And he was very, very nice to me afterwards, but obviously (laughs) he knew what was going to happen, but I didn't. I think I was a bit cross with the director afterwards. I didn't say anything to him, but... um, yeah, I, I, I did feel that that was just took it a little bit yeah. too far because yeah. it was just a trust. bit too real. Yeah. So that's probably why yeah. that looked quite good. Well, yeah, it <laughs> does because as a, I think it's so, and it's entirely down to you. I mean, as a viewer, as a fan, like we care so much about June and that when you're in a position like that, it's very upsetting yeah. as a viewer. Like yes. I feel quite emotional watching that yeah. or any time when you're in jeopardy. Well, I think that was, uh, um, and that was certainly one of the episodes I told my kids not to watch. I mean, no. I, and yeah. there were quite a few episodes actually that I used to say to Kit, don't let them watch that. Because yeah. I wouldn't necessarily watch all the episodes, or I'd be I'd be often be working when it was on, you know, because we worked till quite late at night. Uh, so it would be on, and I, I was quite careful about what the kids saw, because again, really upsetting. That's your mum, you know, being, yeah, yeah, being, being attacked. attacked, and they de- definitely didn't see that bit of that no, episode. No. So it's ten years since you've left, you know, God. and life after the bill. I mean, what? I remember reading an interview where you said all you were getting offered initially were more police yeah, parts. Yeah, this is the problem. You, yeah. yeah, a lot. Or very similar parts, and I just... That isn't something mm. I... You know... It isn't that you want to deny your past, it's just that you go, well, actually, I used to do different things before June, yeah. and I, it would be quite nice to do different things after June. So Emmerdale so must have been a nice gift. Emmerdale, Emmerdale was great, because it was completely <laughs> different and mad. Absolutely yeah. mad. And I was only going to be there for, I think, four months initially, and I ended up staying nearly three years, I think. And yeah. I had a great time. I really enjoyed doing that. I really enjoyed it. Lovely group of people. Yeah, she was um, a bit of a stirrer, Georgia, wasn't yes, she? Yes, <laughs> I was marvellously different. And that, so that was yeah, a bit of a gift, that. But eventually the travelling, because it's all filmed in Leeds yeah, and yeah. Yorkshire, which I love, especially some of the great walkers, so lovely walks oh, and stuff. Yeah. But away from home a lot and kind of weekends, you know, you'd be worrying about is it going to be snowing up there? Are there going to be any trains from London? And mm. and eventually, kind of three years from that, I, of that, I I kind of had enough. So George has gone off on a massive world cruise. That's right, yeah. For, for about the last two years. But then some other things, you know... Uh, some some quite nice theatre jobs came up, oh, so yeah. I just went off went off and sort of involved myself in back in the theatre and yeah. uh, did a lot of touring. Yeah, yeah. Calendar yeah. Girls. Calendar and... Girls was great fun. That was really good fun. The one about pole dancing as well. Was... Yeah, there was a play called The Naked Truth, which, which maybe we'll draw a veil over that. No, <laughs> I, it was good fun, and actually it was a very different part about five women in a community hall who all got various problems and they decided to learn to pole dance. So there was no nudity involved or no. anything like that, but we did actually have to learn to do it wow. because by the end of it, they, they give a show, you know. So, yeah, I did have to learn to get up one of those poles. Because I mean, it's quite, 
Yeah, I was quite fit during that. Yeah, that was good fun. Just a really nice group of actors. It was Lisa Riley was in it. Did a play in Scotland the year before last, Arthur Miller play, which was a great part, All My Sons. And you had a terrific performance in Casualty recently. I didn't, I never saw that. Oh, I know, I don't yeah. watch myself oh, ever. Though. Oh, no, it's, it's a cracker. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, be, yeah, you should be proud I of that. I look terrible. Well, it? well, yeah, but, yeah, it was so but, funny actually because when we did Casualty, because I had to be painted yellow because yeah, I was you know, yeah, alcoholic. Yeah, alcoholic, yeah. Um, and on a, I was up there for two weeks in Cardiff, and on the Friday, we'd, we'd all finished, It was the episode was finished. But it's a real struggle to finish. At, I think you finish at seven, and then unless you catch that half past seven train, mm. uh, there isn't another one until nine or something, oh. and then it's a slow train to London. So they said, as soon as you finish shooting in the studio, get straight in the car and we'll dash you to the railway station. And of course, I just changed. I didn't even think about what I looked like. Oh. And I got on the train, and people are walking past me, and I can see people thinking, God, I all look as if they recognise me. And of course they look at me because I'm yellow. yellow. I look terrible. Yeah, yeah. No makeup whatsoever. <laughs> I'm painted yellow. And they must have thought, oh, that poor woman. Oh, she used to be in the build. And now look at her. Oh, dear. <laughs> but that was nice to do because a huge number of the crew there are from the build. Oh, Masses of oh, them. Oh, wow. And I came in the fir- on the first day. And they were all lined up in wardrobe. There were about nine of them through wardrobe, a couple of people from wardrobe, somebody from makeup, and then a load of, you know, gaffers and riggers and electricians. And all lined up in a line going, hello, Sarge, as I came in. (laughs) It was really nice. (laughs) And ambitions, plans for the future, shows you'd like to add to your CV? Gosh, you know, I don't... I really don't, I, I'd love to do another Shakespeare. I haven't done Shakespeare for ages. That would be nice, but you know, I don't want big parts. I don't want big parts anymore. What I like best is being a member of a company. I love being in a company. I love rehearsals, and then I get very bored once the show's been on for about right. three weeks. I'd like to do maybe, yeah, a nice Shakespeare or a mm. musical where I didn't have a great deal to do, so I could relax and enjoy it and just a quick six week run that was incredibly well paid yeah that would be, nice. be marvellous yeah, yes, yeah that's the sort of job I want <laughs> <laughs> and um, briefly you're a whole family's talented isn't it it's not just you and Kit yeah well they don't get it from me I no. tell you they definitely don't get it from me he's a really good musician my mm. husband he's a great guitar player oh, he plays piano as well but he's he's just a really top musician and um, he's taught the girls to play the guitar from the age of about six, I think, seven. Um, and they both played the piano, and Eleanor plays the drums really well, actually. Oh, um, right. So they're really musical, and we've got a music room in our house, which is just stuffed full of musical instruments and a piano. And So that was where Ellie wrote most of her, her first album <laughs> and her first songs. I remember her coming down from her bedroom going, I've written this song, do you think it's any good? And that was Bulletproof, which Whoa. I think went to number one. And, and my other daughter is very musical and has a beautiful voice as well. She's starting quite late in life, but she's starting on a, on a musical career and has had a lot of interest. So she hasn't got an album out yet, but I think that will probably it'll, come out next happen. year. And Ellen's third album is finished nearly, I think, and comes out next year. You must be very proud. 
I'm extremely proud of both of them. I'm also constantly worried because it's such a it's a shark infested pond. The music mm. business, as everybody knows that, but it is, and it's tough. It's very tough, and I think it's pretty tough for women because it's largely mm. run by men. So you have to be tough. I think you have to be tough to be an actor and take the knocks. But I think to be in the music business, you have to be even tougher. And, you know, definitely Eleanor, who's now quite experienced, she's been in it a long time, she's had to develop quite a hard skin. And uh, it's a bit of a shame, really, in that sense, that that has to happen. Mm. But, you know, touch wood, she's surviving. So I'm immensely proud of them both, but, you you know, you know it's very precarious, it's difficult, it's very judgmental. So you just hope that both of them, who are both actually quite sensitive souls, can can come through that and survive it, which is my only my only worry. But I'm I'm so proud of them for following I, I hate the cliche following their dream, but I, I'm so proud of them for doing what they you know, sticking to their guns about and, and following what they want to do rather than taking a safe route. And they are I wouldn't encourage either of them if I didn't think they were talented. I would actually mm. but I have been able to encourage them and certainly Kit has as well. Because I think they are both very talented and don't have a talent that I have. I'm very envious of their musical talent. Um, Maybe they get the singing from your mum. They probably do, actually, because she had a really good voice. My husband hasn't got a good voice. He won't mind me saying that. (laughs) Uh, I I sing a bit. In fact, I've just started singing with his band. Um, But uh, but only only in rehearsals. Yeah. Um, We haven't performed anything yet. I might not. I might back out at that point. Yeah. They both got really really good voices. Yeah. 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 And I'm so grateful for the time you've given. And, and as everyone does on this podcast, they nominate a charity that's close to them, that listeners are encouraged to donate to. Right. Now, I've seen a terrific documentary of you with CBM. Yes. Where you went to Africa. Oh, and did saw, you see that? Yeah, saw yeah, two women having their sight restored. Brilliant. Which must have been yeah. an incredible experience. It was an amazing experience. Um, uh, uh, yeah, one of the you know seminal experiences of my life. It was absolutely fantastic yes I still I mean I'm not you know they, they're they're called the Christian blind mission I'm 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 actually I'm an atheist but it, mm. the point is that they they help people of all religions across the board I mean uh, with uh, with all sorts of disabilities in not just in Africa but Asia I mean and they're doing quite a lot with mental health as well and I think the work they do is fantastic. So, yes, they would definitely be the charity. Oh, yeah. I'll pop a link to CBM on the end of the podcast. Fantastic. And a that'd link be great. People that'd can be donate great. to it. That. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I suppose a, a fitting way to finish in your, in your last episode... Graham Cole did one of his trademark PC stamp awkward tributes, uh, which he did uh, so beautifully. But he explained that June Ackland was respected and she was loved. Right. On behalf of millions of Bill fans worldwide who are going to be very, very jealous that I've got to spend this intimate time <laughs> with you. Uh, on behalf of all of them, you are respected and you are loved by all of us. Oh. And thank you, thank you for being so brilliant at what you do. Oh, well, that's very, very nice of you to say so. Thank you, that's quite cheered me up. And I, actually, it's just been lovely to sit and talk about myself. <laughs> yeah. No, oh, no it's right. been lovely to talk about the programme. I've really, I've really enjoyed it, yeah. And I've, I've learned things I never knew, so... <laughs> You do know a lot more than I do. Well, you'll, you'll, they'll come back. You'll be walking the beat again. June's back on drown. Oh, so. my goodness, yes. A, a geriatric June. 
<laughs> with a Zimmer frame. <laughs> so you'll have those feet going down the, yeah. down the street with a <laughs> Zimmer frame in front of it. <laughs> Trudy, thank you so much. It's been I'm... a pleasure and, uh, and all the very best to all the people out there who've listened to this. My huge thanks to Trudy for taking part and especially for being happy to do a two-parter. She was such lovely company and I'm extremely grateful to her for giving her time so generously. I feel very lucky indeed. I think a two-parter warrants a double donation, if you can, to Trudy's chosen charity, CBM. They aim to transform the lives of people with disability in the poorest places of the world. They tackle poverty, prevent blindness, a documentary of which Trudy presented for CBN, improve health and change the lives of disabled people. You can make a donation via cbmuk.org.uk. I hope you're all enjoying The Bill Rewind on the Drama Channel. And next up on The Bill Podcast is a man you'll have seen aplenty if you've been watching those early repeats. He played Sun Hill's shotgun-surviving PC Robin Frank for five years. It's Mr Ashley Gunstock. Next time on The Bill Podcast... Was there a lot of pressure for you guys? Because the way it was groundbreaking, wasn't it? There yeah. had never been anything like this mm. on TV. I mean, it changed yeah. the face of, of telly. So, yeah. was there a lot of pressure for you all as well? Well, every, everybody seemed to get into it. It was really weird. It almost hit the ground running. I mean, and, and, and they sensed that they were in on something, you know, innovative, and and that that was was going to be a, a hit. And being professional actors. Many of them having having had you know drama school training, you tend to know what what to expect uh, because you, you do a lot of improvisation. I actually remember that there, there was uh, after the first episode went out, there was uh, a review, and the critic had said you know it was really good for a first show out. He said, but you can't imagine any of this lot doing Shakespeare. And at the next scene, I looked around at all the actors and I thought, well. Yes, you can, actually.